Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the weekly sermon with Pastor Stephen. This week, he's looking at Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and it's titled, Bad Marriage versus Good Marriage. And as always, we want you to like and subscribe in any social media platform that you're on, and we thank you for listening. If you guys have a Bible today, please take that Bible and open to Romans 7. Or if you're looking at a Bible app, Romans 7. That is the only reason you should have your phone out today. Romans 7, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. Scripture will be on the screens. And if you don't own a Bible, please, please come out to the Welcome Center. And uh, we'll be happy to give you a Bible today. We're walking through the New Testament book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, it's a verse-by-verse series, and it's entitled A Life Transformation. And so... You hear me say this pretty regular. If there's ever anyone that could say, hey, do you, know what a, you want to know what a transfer, transformed life looks like? Look at my life. It would be the guy who wrote this. And even then, he would say, but I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I want to be. And so today we're going to be kicking off chapter 7, looking at the first six verses. And I just want to tell you that he's going to use an analogy. He's been using all these different analogies to describe what a relationship is with Christ and what someone who is not in Christ looks like compared to that. Over and over, using different metaphors. And I don't want you to get so focused on the metaphor today that you miss out on the message. Because there are people all the time that have pulled bits and pieces of these six verses out of context to try to use it to say something about the metaphor and they miss out on the message. But today we're going to talk about marriage. A bad marriage versus a good marriage. Be a great time, ladies, to elbow your husband in the ribs. I heard, uh, I heard the story about a guy who came to church on Sunday morning, been attending this church for 25 years, a respected leader in this church, and he, uh, he called his pastor and he said, Pastor, can I talk to you for just a moment this morning? Pastor said, sure. And he said, hey, listen, I need to share something with you that I've never told anyone, but I feel as though I need to let you know for 30 years of marriage, my wife and I have fought every day, every day. And the pastor said, really? I, I, never, I never would have guessed that. It seems as though everything's, everything's fine. Everything's good. He said, you mean every day? He said, I mean, every day. He said, so y'all had a fight this morning before you came to church? He said, that's exactly right. We fought this morning. He said, well, how'd it end up? He said, the way it ended is the way it always ends. She came crawling to me on her hands and knees. And the pastor said, wow, okay. What'd she say? He said, she said to me, come out from under that bed, you coward, and fight like a man. Yeah, that's probably not the marriage you're shooting for, all right? But this is an analogy, okay? This is, not, this is not necessarily saying something about marriage. This text is saying something about the Christian life. Look there, we're, we're in Romans 7, okay? Look at the first six verses in Romans 7. He says, or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. 
for the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. See, before a person comes to Christ, they're married. And they're married to the law. Once they come to Christ, though, they are now in a relationship with him that Paul is comparing to that of a marriage. Again, let me remind you, do not get so caught up in the metaphor that you miss the message. But I want us, first of all, to look at this bad marriage. And it's a bad marriage of the law. Now, know that when I'm saying the law, I'm referring to uh, the Ten Commandments. I'm referring to the Old Testament regulations. I'm talking about the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. And basically what we are talking about is anyone who would have this attitude and this idea that I can be good and do good and God declared that I'm good. And then I know that I'll go to heaven when I die. That is being married to the law. That your performance is going to earn you salvation and forgiveness and heaven. Most people believe that. That's being married to the law. Two flaws of this bad marriage to the law that I want to point out to you this morning. The first flaw is being married to the law, it never forgives, but it always demands perfection. It never forgives, but always demands perfection. So the law says this, you're married to the law. The law says, here's a list of things that you've got to do every day. And here's a list of things that you should never, ever do. And if you ever break one of these rules, then I'm never going to forgive you. There's no excuse for breaking the rules. There's no forgiveness for breaking the rules. You must keep the rules. And so when you're married to the law, the law demands perfection. Now, I know we're not talking about marriage here, but he uses the metaphor. And, and let's stay with the metaphor. Wouldn't it be awful to be married to someone who all they ever did is make demands of you? That's the law. Married to someone who gives you a list of these are the things that you do today. These are the things that you don't do today. These are the things that you do tomorrow. These are not the things, or these are the things that you do not do tomorrow. Some of you are like, you're talking about my marriage. With the exception of your husband's perfect. That let you off the hook, didn't it? 
Yeah, so here's the law, right? We're the bride. Here is the law. The law says, do everything I say. Do not fail whatsoever. And I require this out of you because I myself are perfect. I'm perfect. He is perfect. Wouldn't it be terrible to be married to someone just like that? Yeah. And that's what it means to be married to the law. Because the law is perfect and the law demands something out of you and I that we can never ever be, even on our best day, and that is perfect. So there's a flaw. When you're married to the law, it never forgives, but it demands something that you can't do. But there's a second flaw. Being married to the law, it never compliments, but it always condemns. That's what the law does, guys. The law always points where you've come up short. The law always says, here's where you're wrong. The law will never say, hey, here's where you got it right. Let me congratulate you. You finally got it right. That'll never happen when it comes to the relationship that you have with the law. I'll explain it like this. You're driving down the road and you look in your rearview mirror and you see a, uh, a cop car with its lights on. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Yeah. What is the first thing that goes through your mind? Is he after me? That's what I think. Is he after me? And I'll look and I'll be like, oh, thank goodness. He's not. No, he's after me. And you pull over and it usually goes something like this. The policeman will walk up to your car and you'll roll down the window because they don't want you to get out of the car. Do not make the mistake of getting out of the car. You roll the window down, they walk up to the car and the question is, now do you know why I pulled you over? And I usually respond, I mean, I've, I've heard people respond, well, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't know why you pulled me over. I don't know what I was doing wrong. And then he responds this way. The reason why I pulled you over is because I've been watching you for the last 10 miles. And I just wanted to pull you over and congratulate you. You've gone the speed limit for the last 10 miles. <laughs> Matter of fact, you've done such a great job. Here is a gift card to the steak restaurant. You, you go and have yourself a good time. I'm telling you, I just could not let this go without pulling you over and saying, job well done. I'm not saying that has never happened. It's never happened to me. No, usually the only conversation that you have with the law, when I use the word law here, I'm not talking about law enforcement officers, policemen or women. I would never say anything that would do anything except give them honor because the reality is we have a lot of them here in the room. <laughs> the law is the rule, okay? The only time the law, the rule, the thou shalt and the thou shalt not has a conversation with you and I is when we've broken it. It always condemns. It doesn't compliment. Ladies, can you imagine being married to a man who all he ever says to you is, what's wrong with your hair? I don't like your hair. I hate your hair. Your hair looks ugly. Those clothes, where'd you get those? Those clothes don't look good on you. Is that new perfume you're wearing? Because I can't stand it. It stinks. 
He never says, hey, I just want you to know you look really good today. I want you to know those clothes make you look so pretty. It brings out your natural beauty. Oh, man, your hair looks great. What is that new perfume? Oh, it smells like roses. And again, I don't know, I don't know your husband the way that you know your husband. I don't know what the best compliment is that he could give you. Could be, oh, I like that new perfume. It smells like bacon to me. I don't know what the highest compliment he can offer you is. Never any compliments. Always condemns. I'd say nobody wants to be a part of a marriage or relationship like that. And he's using this analogy because he's saying that's what being married to the law is like. Only time the law speaks is to let you know Here's where you failed. Here's where you've come up short. Here's where you've not been perfect. And if your life is anything like my life and the rest of our lives, that is a conversation that happens numerous times a day. You say, well, I don't like being in a marriage like that. How in the world did I ever get in a marriage like that in the first place? I didn't even realize I was in a marriage like that. Can I just say you didn't have anything to do with it? It was prearranged for you by your family. Your great, 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 we just keep going, right? Grandfather, Adam, prearranged your marriage to the law when he broke the law. See, when Adam broke that law and he sinned in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, all of a sudden, it caused them to say, you know what, we'll all be a part of this relationship, prearranged by, by our family. All of us are in by our birth, and you need to get out of it, is what Paul is saying. Who wants to be a part of a relationship where all they ever hear is complaints and never compliments? He says, that's not good. That's bad. That's the bad marriage of the law. Reminds me of a story that I heard about this guy who, uh, he was married and he'd work all day long and then he would, he would come home and he would come right through the back door, go right through the kitchen, go plop down in his chair with his stinky, dirty work clothes on and he would turn the TV on and he would just watch the TV until he got up to walk into the kitchen and he would say, what's for supper? What's for supper? Where's my supper? Then he would return to the chair to sit there and watch TV the rest of the night. No communication, no conversation, no affection, nothing. Well, there was a guy that he worked with who gave him a book how to be a good husband. He didn't mean to, but he started reading it. And as he read it, he thought, this is what I need to do. I, he came under conviction. I need to be a good husband. And so what happened is he decided one day that he would take with him some clean clothes to work. Before he left work that afternoon, he showered in the break room shower and he put on those clean clothes. Not only that, but he sprayed his wife's favorite cologne that he had had in a bottle for the last 35 years. That's right. Aqua Velva. Right there. 
Some of you still wear that. You know you do. I don't know why I can't find Aqua Velvet anymore. All this supply chain stuff. It's on a ship out there in the Pacific. I had that conversation just recently with someone. He stops by the store, buys flowers, and he buys candy. And he gets home, and he doesn't go through the back door. He goes to the front door, and he rings the doorbell. Standing there with the flowers, standing there with the candy, got on clean clothes, showered, smelling real good. His wife comes to the door. Before she could say a word, he grabs her, pulls her into his arms, puts one of those big old Hollywood kisses on her. You know what I'm talking about? And releases her, and she just starts bawling, crying. And he says, what's wrong? What's what's happening? He's thinking, I did exactly what the book said to do. This is not supposed to happen. And she said, well, I just want to say to you, this has been the worst day ever. The worst day ever. First of all, the washing machine broke down and flooded the basement. Then I get a phone call from school to go down because John has fallen and broken his arm. He's now got it in a cast. I come home only for your mom to call and say that she's now going to come on a two-week visit. And to beat it all, to beat it all, you come home from work drunk. Mm. Well, well, well. It's no fun to be in a marriage where you don't get any support. Where you don't get any love or acceptance. And Paul says that's what it's like to be married to the law. And by the way, you're married to the law. So the whole point in these six verses, I mean, yeah, he's saying, hey, this is the legal requirements in the culture and the day and time that he's writing when it comes to marriage. And there are folks that have pulled these verses out and they've tried to use an analogy to shame folks who have walked through the terrible valley of divorce. Now hear me, God hates divorce. The book of Malachi says that. But God loves divorcees. How do I know that? Because he gave his son for you. Why does he hate divorce? Because he knows the destruction. He knows it's not his best. He knows it's not his plan. And so he hurts just as you hurt. But friend, the analogy that he is making here is not so much about a physical marriage. He is talking about a bad spiritual marriage and you're married to the law. And so the point that he's making, and I'm I'm kind of piggybacking on this point, is to try to convince every one of you, get out of that marriage. It's a bad marriage to the law. It's never going to be anything but a bad marriage to the law. There's a much better marriage that he desires that you have. And that's the blessed marriage to Jesus. The New Testament, the church is always described as the bride, right? Jesus Christ is always described as the groom. That all of us that are in Christ, we make up the church. So we are a bride, male and female, saved individuals. We're all a part of the bride of Christ. 
We have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Chances are there's not going to be a service that you ever attend here where you do not hear me talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything we build our church around is about letting folks know that they can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Doesn't expect you to, uh, you know, to pretend as though you're one way and you're not really that way. Doesn't expect you to clean yourself up. Doesn't expect you to make yourself look religious or holy or anything. No, he says, that's all right. Go ahead. Come to me just as you are, I'm the one that can change you. And so everything we do is built around that. Everything we do. And you hear me talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you're like, yeah, that's good, but I really don't know what that is. Because there are a lot of you that think that to be a Christian, we're talking about a religion that you've chosen to follow. Yet if you understand what the true meaning of Christianity is, you understand it is the antithesis of religion. It's relationship. See, a lot of folks think that when it comes to Christianity, it's kind of like Jesus Christ is is just this, uh, you know, uh, this religious leader and I can't really know him and that's just kind of the religion that I'm choosing to follow. I I, I talked to somebody not too long ago, just a sweet, sweet, sweet young lady, and here's what she said. She said, I just want you to know I don't come from a religious family. And I said, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. Religion is man's attempt to earn his way to God, which he can never do. That's being married to the law. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ where God said, since you can't do what needs to be done, I'll put on flesh and I'll come and give my life so that you might have life. That's the relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let me... Let me kind of help you understand looking at my own marriage because, well, my plan is this is the only one that I'll ever know. Uh, You've heard me say this before. It's exactly true. You go into my office right now. You look at my dictionary. I took an X-Acto knife right after I got married and I cut the word divorce out of my dictionary. I'm very visual in case you don't know that. When I married my wife 23 years ago, hear me, I didn't get a marriage relationship. I got a wife. And she and I know each other and we relate to each other and she's my best friend and I talk to her every day and she talks to me every day and I love her and she loves me and I want to respect her and honor her in everything that I do. So again, remember, he's talking about an analogy here. He's talking about a marriage, a union, a relationship personally with Jesus Christ, just like a wife to a husband where he's your best friend, right? Where you're talking to him every single day, where you're hearing from him every single day, where you love him and that love is growing and intensifying and you are secure in the very love that he has for you. That's what our personal relationship is. We've done a horrible job in the church, not just here, all across evangelical churches, Treating salvation as an event that you've checked off when it comes to your spiritual scale. 
You should never, ever be guilty of saying, I have been saved. Friend, you are being saved. It is a daily, daily relationship with Jesus Christ that falls on us because, man, yeah, give him glory and praise for the fact that he doesn't give up on us. Some of you, that I couldn't pay you $100 and get you to clap in this room, could I? Listen, 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 listen. You hear me say that and you're like, you're, so you're saying I can't be saved and know that I'm saved. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying salvation. The moment that you trust Christ, then immediately you're in the very family of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way to come to God. But part of that salvation is that sanctification process. No, I'm not sanctified so that I might get to heaven. I'm being sanctified because heaven's where I'm headed. And so it's not, oh, yeah, 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 been there, done that. No, it's a, it's a daily walk. It's a daily pursuit. Mm. Listen to what Galatians 2.19 says. Galatians 2.19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. You say, okay, all right. So, so I'm interested in this new marriage. I just got, I got to know, how do I have this new marriage? Verses two and three, he's saying that in the marriage, in our text, when the husband dies, a widow can legally marry again. But then you look in verse four, he doesn't say the husband died. He says, you also have become dead to the law. So he's inferring that the groom, Mr. Law, has died. And I believe Mr. Law has died because over in Colossians chapter two, verse 14, here's what it said. It said, Jesus Christ took the law out of the way. What'd he do with it? says he nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. So yes, yes, law has died. But before a widow is free to marry another, not only must her mate and spouse be dead, but she herself has got to say the first marriage is over. He uses the terminology dead. I know some ladies, I've known some ladies whose husbands have died and, uh, you know, they're still committed to that marriage. They're still committed to that relationship. And so please hear me. There is nothing wrong with that. The Bible nowhere says that widows have to remarry and that there are some that say, hey, no way. I don't have any desire about me to remarry. Now, let me just stop and say this. There are some that I know that your desire to remarry is more important to you right now than your desire to bring God glory and honor through your life. But he says, hey, listen, she's got to die to that first marriage. The law's out of the way. Jesus took care of that. But the problem is there are a lot of folks professing Christ who are still tied to the law. They still feel this attraction to the law. The idea, again, of being good and doing good, that, that will bring about approval and acceptance by God Mm. It's one of the most popular beliefs in the church in America today. What does it take to go to heaven when you die? The popular answer is this. Oh, I got to be, be good and do good, keep the commandments, right? I mean, that's what it means. 
That's what I mean. I got to be better than most. If you were to go across the street and ask your neighbor that question, chances are that's how they're going to respond. And if it's not you asking the question, if it were someone else, then they probably would respond by pointing at your house saying, look, that my neighbor over there goes to church. I'm a lot better than they are. It's being married to the law. There's got to be a death to that first marriage before there can be the second marriage, which is a good marriage to Christ. Let me tell you a few things about this marriage to Jesus. First of all, it's a never-ending union. Jesus is not going to divorce you because it goes against the very nature and character of God. Again, Malachi says, God hates divorce. Jesus is never going to leave you. Jesus is never going to forsake you. He is not going to walk out on you. Jesus is there. Everyone else may walk out on you. Everyone else may forsake you. You hear me talking about the relationship with Jesus being like a relationship that is marital. Then all of a sudden, immediate fear grips you because you're like, oh my goodness, I know what that's like. I've been left before. I've been abandoned before. He'll not do it. It's not possible with him. You say, well, what about folks who have had a relationship with Jesus Christ and they used to attend church with me and they would sit next to me every week and they taught that class and they tithed and they sang in the choir and they were, and they were so involved in everything, but now they're no longer here. They have no, they have no desire. They have no um, longing for the things of God. Uh, what about them? They divorced Jesus, didn't they? I'm going to answer that question this way. I wear a wedding ring as a symbol that I'm married. I tease, you know, like, hey, you know, I wear this, better wear it because I've got to keep the ladies away, you know. <laughs> Several years ago, I even said to Jennifer, my ring is getting smaller. Maybe, maybe, I don't, maybe I don't need to wear it. And she's like, oh, you don't have to wear it on the finger. We put a ring through your nose if you'd like to wear it that way. I'm like, no, I think the one on my finger would be fine. Do you know this? Do you know, that, do you know that people can wear a ring and not be married? Yeah, you go down to the ring store, you can buy one off Amazon. They don't say, well, we want to see your marriage license. No, man, they'll sell. That a single person could put on a ring and walk around having everyone think they're married, but they're not really married. What makes them married? Uh, a personal legal union? A relationship? See, baptism, we saw it this morning, it's a lot like this wedding ring. It's a symbol of what Jesus does when somebody puts their faith and trust in him and surrenders their life to him. Friend, listen to me. There are folks that get baptized all the time that have never truly been born again. It's not my call to make. 
The staff and I do the best we can. Here's what the gospel is. Put your faith in Jesus. Don't put your faith in yourself. Put your faith in Jesus. Don't put your faith in a church. Put your faith in Jesus, not in any action that you would do that are good, obedient actions. No, don't put your faith in walking down an aisle or filling out a card or texting anything. Don't put your faith in any of those things that are good things because they cannot give what you need. Put your faith in in Jesus. They were never truly in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't walk out on him. You say, why? Where are they going to go to get away from him? He's everywhere. You may be living a life that is having to deal with the terrible fallout from divorce. When you hear Paul talk about being married to Jesus, divorce is not even in his vocabulary. You know what else? Death is not going to separate or break your union with Jesus. It's not. I know there's some of you right now that, you know, because you had a spouse that died, you're like, well, you know, we're, they're not here and I'm not married anymore and all, all that kind of stuff. What if, what if that happens? You know, what if, what if Jesus dies? Well, here's the good news. The groom has already died, risen from the dead, alive forevermore. He'll never taste death again. You say, but I might die. Yeah, if, if Jesus waits before he comes back and raptures the church, here's the, here's the church word that we use. If he tarries then, then I, I, I may die. And if I die, it's going to break. No, no, listen to me. This marital relationship, death only makes it sweeter. Death only makes it better. So this is a never-ending union. Matter of fact, here's what Paul said. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Not only is it a never-ending union, but this blessed marriage to Jesus Christ, you get a new name and a new family. Usually, when a bride gets married, she gets a new last name. I, I know. I'm, I mean, there, there are some brides that keep their maiden name or they do a hyphenated name or anything like that. Please hear me. That is your prerogative. Whatever you and your husband decide, I got, I got no dog in this hunt. When Jennifer Parrish, 23 years ago, married Stephen Kyle, she took on my last name. And please hear me. It wasn't a situation to where she said, you know what? Ooh, man, that Kyle name. It is not a name of royalty. You, you wouldn't have to go very far on uh, one of those search engines looking for your ancestors to realize, hmm, it just gets worse. <laughs> but she took my last name, and here's what happened. I'm in a different relationship now. He is my husband. I'm now in the relationship of wife. There's a different identity that comes with all that kind of stuff. I think you know that. And so basically, it was a situation of us or her identifying and, and saying, you know what, I'm a new individual and uh, so she chose to take on that last name. Well, when you come become a Christian, you take on a new name. The book of Acts says that they call believers in Christ Christians. Christians mean 
It means Christ-like. It means miniature Christ. It means an imitation of Christ. So you get a new name when you enter into this union in this marriage that is blessed with Jesus, and you also get a new family. Brothers and sisters of Christ. Now let me just ask you. Anybody in here in your biological family got anybody who's just a little weird? <laughs> I mean, I know that's your spouse's side. I, I, I get that. I get that. You're like, I didn't have it till I married into it, and they're crazy. <laughs> By the way, I would just like to say to those that are single, remember, you'll be spending Christmas and Thanksgiving and all that with them. <laughs> Unless you go to Africa to be on mission. <laughs> or you move to the beach and everybody wants to come visit. I mean, you look around the family of God, it's so easy for us to sit there and say, well, my goodness, those folks are weird. Those folks are crazy. Those folks are a little off. In which I would just like to state this. If you've never ever thought that or said that about the family of God and about your church family, then it's every indication that you're the one they're saying that about. <laughs> yeah, we're weird. Yeah, we're different. It makes no sense whatsoever. Yes, yes. You remember Donnie and Marie Osmond? Y'all remember them? I'm a little bit country, I'm a little bit rock and roll, and then one started singing rock and roll, and one started singing country. Anyway, it's crazy. I wasn't a fan. <laughs> what makes us a part of the family? It's not the kind of music we sing. It's not the kind of clothes we wear. It is not our likes or dislikes. It is not what translation of the Bible that we use. It's not where we spend our vacations. It's not what kind of coffee we like. It's not even whether we want to eat the holy bird chicken or not. It's about our love for Jesus. That's what unites us. Oh my goodness, if churches would get that, we'd never have to worry about a church split again. I got a new name, I got a new family. Let me tell you the third one, and man, we got to roll on. I've got a numberless inheritance. Why'd you use the word numberless? Starts with the N. But it also communicates unlimited. I've got an inheritance in Christ. And by the way, let me just stop and say this. The inheritance that I have for being a child of God is not something that I have to wait until I die to receive. It's something, it's something that happens the moment I receive him, right? Yes, life and life abundant. I mean, peace and, and purpose and, and, and hope. And so it is a numberless inheritance. A lot of times we don't even think about inheritance when it comes to marriage and that kind of relationship. And there are some folks that do. For instance, I heard about the lady who said this. Oh, I love my husband. I love him so much. And I worship the very ground that his daddy discovered oil on. Oh, man. And yet when Jennifer and I got married, here's what we said. What's mine's yours, what's yours is mine, and we didn't have a thing. <laughs> and the same thing happens when we're united with Christ. Listen to what Paul says, Romans 8, 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God. He, he, he owns it all, by the way. 
and co-heirs with Christ. That because of the relationship that you have, the union that you have with Jesus Christ, you now receive the blessings and the inheritance of Christ, the holy, heavenly inheritance. Here's what that means. It means when I take my final breath, I now take my first one at a place in a home that has been created for me. I don't know what it's going to be like. All I know, Jesus has been creating it for about 2,000 years. I got upset because it took them like seven months to build my house. My house is a dump compared to the one that Jesus is building for me. Friends, listen to me. Not only that, but blessings and inheritance right now, right now, because of our union with Jesus Christ. It is numberless. It is eternal. It's something we can't even wrap our minds around. So stop and think. There's a bad marriage of law. I'm born into it. It requires perfection, but yet it'll never forgive when I can't be perfect, and that is every single day. It always condemns me. It never says, hey, I want to commend you. You got it right on that one. Oh, good job to Today. No, it's always there before me. Look at how you are. Look at how sinful you are. Look at how rotten you are. Look at how no good you are. Oh, that's a bad, bad marriage. And then Paul says, there's a better one. There's a blessed one with Jesus. And when you enter it, you don't have to worry. He's not going anywhere. You know, a lot of times young couples will get married and they'll sit there and, uh, you know, they won't be married long and the honeymoon quote will wear off and here's what they'll say. I really didn't know the person I was married. That's, I mean, basically what they're saying is, you're not who I thought I was married. You'll never say that when it comes to your marriage with Jesus. If anything, Here's what you'll say. Goodness, I didn't know it could be this good. Wow. I thought I knew Jesus. But when I gave him my life and heart, whew, every day, he's just blowing me away. Every day just gets better and better and better. And that's the reason why when you have a relationship with Christ, that's the reason why you're going around to everyone and you're like, oh, have you tasted this? Taste and see. It is good. It is good. I can remember I was in college. I grew up in rural West Tennessee. I got to be honest to you. I've kind of been lying. I've been saying 8,000 people in my hometown. I just the other day looked at the new updated census. It's 4,000. And I went off to college and somebody's sitting there and they were, they were cutting open a pomegranate. I'm like, what's that? They don't have that in McNary County. Well, that's a pomegranate. Well, what do you do? You take these seeds out and you kind of chew on them and it'll unleash the sweetest taste you've ever had. I grabbed about 20 of them and threw them in my mouth and bit down and I have never... I can remember thinking, my goodness, this is almost as good as banana pudding. And it's healthy. And so I went home and I'd be like, hey, we got we to gotta get a pomegranate. And they're like, pomegranate? What's pomegranate? Well, we got to get a pomegranate. Can you get it down at Piggly Wiggly? I don't know. Let's go look. You're not going to believe how it tastes. 
taste and see that the Lord is good. So you sit there, and it's not a situation where you're going to say, man, Jesus is not what I thought he was going to be. It's going to be this. Jesus is beyond anything that I ever even dreamed. And he's never going to forsake me. He's never going to leave me. I got a new name. I'm in Christ. I got a new family. They're a little weird, but man, what an encouragement they are. My inheritance is crazy. And here's the last one. This new marriage with Jesus, it nurtures fruit. Look in verse 4. We'll finish her up. Verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. And here's the purpose of the union. That we should bear fruit to God. Here's how we say it. Our life ought to be different than it was when we were married to the law. Because of the freedom of Christ and the union with him. It's producing and nurturing fruit. Jennifer and I were married two years before we had the fruit of our marriage. Abigail Grace. A little bit of me, a little bit of her. My DNA, her DNA, grandparents' DNA, great-grandparents' DNA. You know how it works, right? 17 months later, and we're crazy. We had some more fruit in McClare. A little bit of me, a little bit of Jennifer. My DNA mixed with her DNA and grandparents' DNA and great-grandparents. I mean, you know how it works, right? Six years later, Stephen Reed. A little bit of me, a little bit of her. My DNA mixed with her DNA and grandparents and great. I mean, you do know how that works, right? Okay, I'm just assuming. Well, what are you saying right here in this passage of Scripture is your relationship with Jesus is not just so you can be happy. This is going to surprise somebody because you've been listening to most of your preaching on one of these worldwide networks. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is not just so you can be happy, even though you will if you're in him. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is not just so you can go to heaven when you die, even though that's the only way to go. Now, Jesus wants to produce some fruit in your life. Well, what fruit does he want to produce? There's nine children that I think are going to be born into a true Christian life. We read about them in Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 22. Listen to these nine children. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, let's walk back to that bad marriage. The law will never produce those nine children. No matter how good of a life you live, it'll never bring about that fruit. There are no little law children. No, it only comes through a relationship and a union with Jesus 
Christ. We need it. (laughs) I'm reminded of how much we need it every Sunday morning when I see y'all in that back parking lot. (laughs) Leaving the church parking lot, people running out of here, jumping in their cars. Some of you backed into your parking spot this morning so you could beat the crowd out. (laughs) That's when we need the spiritual DNA of Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus loves, Jesus is joy, Jesus is peace, Jesus is patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, Jesus is gentleness, Jesus is self-control. And folks, he wants to produce that and he wants to nurture that in your life. So what is the difference between living under the law and living a life of freedom under and in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll explain it this way. In the state of Florida, we have child restraint laws. And I I know they change from time to time. It's been a long time since I've had kids in a car seat. Uh, we, We had a sweet, sweet young couple that, my goodness, they didn't look more than mid 20s. They probably were older, but they dedicated four kids today all of them under the age of four. And uh, here's what I'm thinking. I bet she drives a 15-passenger van. Because those car seats are huge, aren't they? That's the only way. How in the world could they go anywhere? I remember we had two. And these are the old car seats. It'd keep them from dying. They might get maimed or something, but they keep them from dying. Now, man, I mean, those things are high-tech, and they're huge. State of Florida says that, uh, I guess, uh, five years of age and younger has to be in a, uh, a child restraint seat. And then, you know, there are stages where they can graduate into other things. But uh, honestly, I don't even think they're supposed to sit in the front seat until they're over age 12. And yet, do y'all ever see this? I'll be out. I'll be at a red light or something and I'll look over. And, and, and there'll be a toddler standing up in the front seat. I was at a red light the other day, and I looked over, and, and there was a woman driving her car who was holding her child in her arms. And i got to be honest with you, that's when that right, righteous indignation wants to take over. Hey, pull over up here. What are you doing? You crazy? Hear me, though. I would never stop and say, are you crazy? Don't you know it's against the law? Here's how I would say it. Don't you love that child? That you want to make sure that child is protected? Should there be an accident? See, see, there's one of two ways to look at the marriage that he talks about. There are those who sit there and out of fear, out of fear, there are folks that probably put their kids in a car seat and they're like, man, I got to have them in a car seat because if I get pulled over and I don't have them in, I'm going to get a ticket. And you guys, all you who have kids and stuff, no, you're going to approach it differently. You're not going to say, oh, I don't want a ticket. You're going to approach it as I love my kid. I want to protect my kid. I understand that's one of my callings as a parent to protect my kid. 
love for them. And likewise, when it comes to this marriage, right, this law, this spiritual life that he is talking about, there are those who sit there and say, well, you know what, I'm going to obey the law because if I don't obey the law, then guess what? I'm going to receive the payout. I'm afraid, I'm afraid if I don't live the life of the law. I mean, fear is a motivator. Fear is a terrible way to live. And then there are those that are like, no. (laughs) I want to produce fruit with the life that I've been given, not for fear, because I want to do it because I love Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, those who love me will do what? They'll keep my commandments. They'll bear my fruit. So here's what we know, everybody in this room today. We know one of two things. Either you're still married to the law, or you used to be married to the law. No in between. And Jesus says, quit trying to earn what you can never get. I never intended you to. I've already done all that needs to be done. Come into a relationship with me. You know what? You may fail. You may fall. I'm not going to leave you. I'm still here. Because the standing that you have and the relationship that you have It was never based on your performance anyway. No, I'm still good. Yeah, come on. Come on. I'm going to love you. I've given you a new name. You're part of a new family. Man, you're not going to (laughs) believe. You think the part of the inheritance that you've already received is good. You will not believe what I've got waiting on you. Now, let me start changing you because you've got a new identity and we view fruit as freedom and not as burden. Hi, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle and I want to thank you today for listening to our Unchangeable Truth podcast. Our prayer is that you have been challenged as well as encouraged as we study God's Word verse by verse. If you're ever in the Panama City area, we would love for you to come and worship with us in person at Highland Park Baptist Church, 2611 Highway 231 North in Panama City. If you want to learn more about our ministry and about our church, we would encourage you to go to our website, www. Dot Highland, and that's H-I-L-A-N-D, Park, P-A-R-K, dot org. If you have any questions or any comments about today's podcast, feel free to shoot us an email at info at highlandpark.org. That's H-I-L-A-N-D, P-A-R-K, dot org. 
Our prayer is that you would continue to draw close to God. And if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, please reach out to us and let us share with you the greatest story that's ever been told. God bless.